0: Prosopagnosia is a rare condition in which patients lack the ability to recognize faces. This neurological disorder, also known as face blindness, can be challenging to recognize and understand. What do we know about the mechanisms behind this condition? Welcome to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and I'm joined by Dr. Jason Barton to help us better understand prosopagnosia. Dr. Barton is a professor of neurology, ophthalmology and visual sciences, and psychology at the University of British Columbia and Vancouver, Canada. Dr. Barton, welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, let's begin with some background on prosopagnosia. Dr. Barton, you've been researching and publishing papers on this rare disorder for at least a couple of decades, so we're really pleased to have you on the show as an expert. Let's start with the symptoms of this neurologic disorder.
1: Right. So the hallmark of prosopagnosia essentially is the inability to recognize that a face you've seen is familiar, that you've seen it before, okay? When we're talking about the identity of faces specifically. So as a result of that, if you can't recognize this person's face as being something you've seen before, you also don't recognize that person. So these people often complain That when they're in the room, it looks like a room full of strangers. I had one subject on the internet who came up with an interesting analogy. You think of the stones on a stony beach, right? We all recognize stones, but we're not really very good at recognizing individual stones. And for him, that's what it felt like. Looking at faces in a crowd was like looking at the pebbles on a beach.
0: So two questions. One, how common is this? And two, what causes it?
1: Well, there's two main forms. There's an acquired form and a developmental form. So the acquired form is the one we've known about since the mid-1800s, or at least well-studied since the middle 1940s, but it's extremely rare. And in fact, you know, to study this, I had to get a grant that allowed me to bring people from anywhere in North America to study, and that got me a group of 15 people. So it's not super, super common, and that may speak to the kind of brain problems that you need to have to be able to manifest this. On the other hand, the developmental form, this is where you're born with a problem recognizing faces, which often will take you a little time to figure out that you can't do something that everybody else can.
0: Is there anything you can see on an MRI scan, for example, with someone who has the, the developmental form?
1: No, that's part of the definition. So if you have something on your MRI scan that I can see, maybe there was an in utero stroke or, you know, perinatal problem, then that by definition is early onset acquired prosopagnosia. whereas development of prospect essentially is something about the way the brain developed that's not really easy to see on a standard MRI scan anyway to uh, betray the, the issue. If you do special research scans, there's all sorts of talk about, well, maybe the cortex in that part of the brain is a little thin or the white matter connections are a little sparse, but that's still something that's ongoing research.
0: It sounds like it it almost falls into the category, you know, there are people that see colors and numbers that are kind of mixed up. And then there are, well, there are people who have perfect pitch, for example, they know notes, you know, they have a highly developed sense of hearing, then there are people who don't hear tones, you know, sort of this very high level sensory discrimination area of the brain.
1: Yeah, you know, and and like, all human abilities, things that exist on a spectrum, right? There are, you know, there are people who are very clumsy and there's people who are very adept at uh, manual skills. Um, and perception is no different. That if you take face perception, there are indeed high, super, what they call super recognizers. People who can recognize a face that they haven't seen for 10 years. You know, and, and can recognize thousands. On average, we think that the average person can recognize about 5,000 faces. Some of these people can do much better. And there's been a lot of interest in police forces in recruiting these people.
0: Mm. It sounds like the parietal lobe would be uh, sort of a high suspect for a problem. Do we know where this is located?
1: Yeah. One of the great things that we've had over the last 30 years is functional MRI, right? So I can put you in a scanner and show you faces and try to figure out what parts of your brain are activated when you're doing that. And now we also have techniques to see how these things are connected functionally or with white matter or structural connections, right? So we know that in the brain, there's not just one part that sees, that's active when you see faces, but a real network. And a lot of this network lies in the occipital temporal lobe, so on the inferior part of the brain. And it spreads from the occipital lobe all the way up to, up to the anterior temporal lobe. And one of the big challenges we have is trying to figure out all these different areas of this network, what do they each con- contribute to the uh, process of face um, perception and face recognition?
0: Now, in addition to developmental and acquired, there's another way to categorize these, right?
1: So this is something that we know better for acquired prospect although I suspect there's probably something like this with developmental as well. But with acquired, because again, like many complex tasks, there are many cognitive operations that you need. They're both perceptual and memory functions to recognize who this is, or that you've seen them before. So if you have an aperceptive form, that means that The perceptual processes that you need to create the representation of the face in your brain is faulty. So, you do not see faces accurately. They do kind of look all the same. And that's commonly associated with damage to the occipital temporal lobe and the fusiform gyrus at the back part. On the other hand, there are people who have anterior temporal damage who have no problem seeing the difference between faces. What they struggle with is trying to match what they're seeing with what they remember. And so, these people, if I give them a quiz where I say, don't worry about looking at faces, I'm going to give you a couple names, um, Barbara Streisand and Meryl Streep, and I want you to tell me who's got the bigger nose. Right? They can't do that because they can't bring up in their mind the image, the memory of what these faces look like to be able to make that kind of uh, uh, judgment. So that's the amnestic form. And then there's an associative form, which is where, yes, you know what the faces look like. Yes, you do have some facial memories, but you can't link them together.
0: Well, prosopagnosia has been in the news lately because Brad Pitt announced that he has it. And it's caused him a lot of social uh, awkwardness to the point he says he doesn't even want to go out because he sees people. And, of course, they recognize him. But, you know, he's at a loss because he doesn't recognize them. Of course, we don't know his medical history and we're not his physicians. But uh, he's 58 years old, according to Wikipedia. And he seems to be in pretty good health. You know, how could that happen? Well, I guess there's a couple questions.
1: Is this a new problem for him or is this a, an old problem that he's become suddenly aware of, right? Mm. Because after all, the people with the developmental proximate of they often start off not literally unaware of an issue until a penny drops one day that they're having a problem that other people don't seem to have a problem with. So that's one possibility. Maybe he's someone who's had a developmental problems just kind of figured it out. But on the other hand, yes, could it be an acquired form? Well, you know, as a neurologist, as physicians, You know, how quickly something happens often is a big clue as to what's going on. So, common causes of this, for example, are herpes encephalitis, which can damage both temporal lobes. You know, and prosopagnosia, in some ways, is more common in people who have bilateral damage, right and left side.
0: For those just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jason Barton about the different types of prosopagnosia. Dr. Barton, let's turn our attention to the results of your research. So what is it that you're figuring out?
1: Well, the first thing was, was trying to clarify the structural basis of that functional difference between the different subtypes. That's something we were interested in at the beginning. And, and so uh, we did a lot of work with uh, functional MRI and uh, structural scans and trying to map out which part of the face network would certain people have lost And how does that correlate with the kind of prospect that they had? Some of the things that I've been kind of curious about recently also is, so what are the kind of things do they struggle with? Is it really just about faces? And so one of the things that uh, I and some of my colleagues have done recently is try to survey this in a larger sample and with many more object tests. And right now, I will say that I find that most of these subjects do struggle with other object recognition tasks if they are subtle enough and if you test them in enough detail.
0: Let me ask you one other. You know, there's a group of patients that I'm uh, very familiar with. I used to be the uh, medical director of the Carolinas Epilepsy Center, and we saw a lot of patients with mesial temporal lobe epilepsy. Uh, Sometimes we would do resections of the injured part. Now, and sometimes the damage would be bilateral. So uh, it sounds like they might be a setup for this. Uh, Have you looked into that population?
1: We have had a few subjects who became prosopagnosic after temporal lobe surgery for epilepsy control. So yes, that can happen. Now most of the time I think, you know, people do temporal lobe surgery on just one side. They don't want to create a problem like HM again.
0: Dr. Barton, this has been fascinating. But before we close, do you have any final thoughts or takeaways to share with our audience?
1: Well, I think this is a condition that is rare, but when it's acquired, people usually realize that something's wrong. Although sometimes they attribute it to other things like saying, this must be my hemianopia that's causing that, right? No, it's not. Okay. Mm -hmm. So ask about that. If they have a problem with it, check with them. If they're in the room with you, take their family member's phone and show them the pictures on that phone and see if they can tell which ones are familiar and which ones are not that's a really good test for for trying to do this with faces that are personally known to them and if they have this you know yeah it's it's a problem they're going to need to come to grips with it but most of them are very resourceful in learning how to use other cues which often help but not always we're hoping that in the future there may be things that we can do to make this a little easier we have done some perceptual learning rehabilitation programs that are promising, but they're not a cure yet, but we can improve people's face recognition skills by about 35% with some of these training methods. And there's going to be, I think, a lot more work from this from some of my former students in the coming years.
0: Well, that's very encouraging. And with those thoughts in mind, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jason Barton, for shedding light on this important topic. Dr. Barton, it was a pleasure speaking with you today.
1: You're welcome. I enjoyed it very much.
0: Reach MD, I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com/neurofrontiers, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.